Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Um, I'm excited about this podcast today because this gentleman and I have become quite good friends on Facebook in the sense that we like each other's posts and we comment on each other's posts and I think feel like we respect what the, the other person has going on. And uh, I recently messaged this man and I said, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? And you're like, whoa, you have a podcast? Yeah, that'd be awesome. So had to re- can- reschedule a couple times because this whole pain thing. But pleasure to have you on, Mister. It's Mister Little John himself. How you doing today, <laughs> sir? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah. My my name my birth name is John Holtzwart, and uh, my uh, Holtzwart in German, by the way, means wood warden. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, I know. I guess it's kind of in my genes to be kind of a plant guy, but. Um, yeah, so my dad's name is John, my grandpa's name is John, my great grandpa's name is John. So yeah, so I'm little John. That's that's pretty awesome though. Long uh sometimes I feel like if you're two or three, it may be maybe when you're two, you're kinda yeah. like, Man, why do I have to have this name? But then when you're like number five or six, <laughs> you're kinda like, Oh yeah, it's the tradition. Yeah. Um <laughs> So speaking of which, so you are into plants and I guess for the audience like Get, give people an idea of, you know, I guess what, what I would like us to do is kind of start out how you first got interested into plants. Sure. And then take how you, what you do now because now you're self-employed. Um, I know you're really into trees cause, because you, mm. you helped me. Uh, you invited me to some private groups, which I appreciated on Facebook. And mm. uh, so, yeah, so, you know, I'm big into permaculture, as as you know. You mm-hmm. are as well. And so I guess like I, this whole journey of being in permaculture for me has been like really exciting and life-changing. And so and I feel like for everybody, everybody has a cool story about how they got involved. And um, so, yeah, John, if you just want to, little John, if you want to start out with, um, you know, what you were doing before you, you fell in love with plants or maybe you always have been and, and take kind of take us to where you are now. Yeah. Okay. Well, um so I'm 41. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, whatever, uh, just out of high school, I thought, yeah, I'm going to try to go to college. I went to the local uh, university extension, and it was like, I'm taking all these remedial classes. I was always really good at art. I was getting A's in art and like D, D's in like algebra and English. And, and I, I'm like, why am I taking these again? So I quit. I started working in a factory. Um, and, you know, it just kind of, they got me to, you know, have a house and a truck and everything else, but it was kind of boring. Um, but when I first, uh, you know, started out, I, I kind of was like, I, I met the neighbor guy who, you know, he would go hunting for mushrooms and stuff. And I was actually living in, um, I don't know, kind of like an animal house almost, you know, it was like <laughs> steady diet of pizza and beer. There were, there were four of us guys living together. And, um, you know, and so me being a pretty, a thrifty, uh, Wisconsinite, you know, and meeting this guy next door, talking about mushrooms, hunting for morel mushrooms and stuff and thinking, man, you know, there's food all around me, you know, I, I should start learning to harvest my own food. Yeah. And so just my, my tightwad nature let, let me to go look for free food and continue to educate myself, um, around plants. And then, um, when I was in my late twenties, I met um, Linda Conroy, 
And um, we had a, a relationship for 12 years. We had a business called Moonwise Herbs. Uh, we were both very much into plants and kind of, you know, it, it was like you add uh, vinegar and baking soda together. And I mean, like our both of our learning curves just took off. And we, um, you know, we both started learning all kinds of new plants and, um, and in other parts of the country too. And, you know, and so uh, it just has been, uh, you know, it just continued to grow and grow my, my knowledge, my passion about edible, medicinal and utilitarian plants. I mean, I'm, I'm actually in a week or two, I'm going to be harvesting some diamond willow sticks for uh, the woodcarvers. There's some woodcarvers, there's a woodcarver club. And so, I mean, I harvest you know, willows for basketry and, you know, I mean, uh, nettles for dinner and, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So, And how long did it take you to just say, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I should turn this into a business. <laughs> yeah. Well, so March, uh, so I, I was, I worked in the factory from, uh, from 96 to 07, and, you know, so it was almost, it was just a hair under 12 years. And, um, so they closed the doors to the factory. Actually, they, I got laid off a few months before, you know, or maybe a year before they closed the doors. And, um, so I'm like, man, you know, a couple years prior, I learned how to make brooms and I'm like, I guess this, this, uh, hobby of mine is really going to have to be a, a you know, a, a life way. Um, Linda had already been, you know, doing her own thing since she had moved to Sheboygan to be with me. Uh, for, she moved from Seattle. And so we would actually go out to Seattle every year and uh, do a lot of foraging and lead classes out there, too. And how did you guys meet each other? Um, online dating. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, so then, um, yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, so you, So, yeah, so she moved out there. You guys started doing... Um started doing the she was already doing a lot of foraging stuff and then you're like you know let's do this let's just yeah she's an herbalist okay so she focused mostly on the medicinal aspects and i was already you know into the foraging and weak on the medicinals and then together you know we just really um you know blended well but so so and then they closed the doors to the factory and and actually that year i'd already been um been approached by the los angeles county fair um they I had to turn them down in 06 and then in 07, you know, I was out of the factory and I uh, accepted a job as the broom maker at the LA County Fair in Pomona, California. So That's for awesome. the whole the whole month of September, you know, long days sit there with the, you know, the straw hat and suspenders and button-down shirt, sit there and make brooms and they'd pay me a daily wage, which is, you know, pretty decent for me to be able to drive all my stuff out there in a van and uh and stay at the koa campground across the street you know and so i mean they they paid pretty well um and uh, but you know it wasn't it wasn't always uh i don't know i guess i didn't feel like i was part of the family which is probably why it, it ended you know yeah. after four years and uh which was it was nice it was fun to be out there Oh man, I did a did a few videos um, out there too. I, I you know with uh, when I was with Moonwise, I um, I I did a bunch of the YouTube videos out there. I was always um, you know working in the editing program to to pop out some videos uh, with Linda, and so I did one where I uh, it was one of my favorite things was um, in the middle of the day in California, I would I would hop on my bike and I would ride up and down the alleys 
And, you know, and it's September, right? And yeah. so, like, in Wisconsin, where I live, and maybe, like, Columbus, I don't know, but, like, if someone has an apple tree, oh, geez, you know, it gets to be, you know, too overwhelming. And, you know, sometimes you, you ever go by a place and there's just apples all over the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Or pears. Well, in Southern California, it's avocados and citrus and figs all over the ground. And I'm like... I'm like, holy crap, dude. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I, I came home I, I'm, and my motto is the more I take, the less you rake. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so like, you know, and I'm a pretty outgoing guy and what's the worst they can say is, you know, no, you can't pick. So I would ride up and down these alleys every now and then find a branch hanging over, get a nibble and I'd ride around the front, knock on the door. Uh, I think one time I, the, I left a note on a guy's door because he had like the trifecta of yards. He had a fig. He had a, a fajoa, and, which is um, that's kind of a hard one to describe, but it's another subtropical kind of thing. And he had a he had an avocado that had a black skin on it, paper thin. It's actually called a mexicola, and you can eat the avocado skin and all. Uh, the, the pit, of course you can't eat, but yeah, that the skin is just so thin, like, like rice paper and it's just delicious. Um, and he had an orange tree. And so I would go there every Wednesday cause I figured I'd give it a one week cycle to ripen and yeah. I'm there for four weeks, you know? And so, um, yeah, I hooked up with him like every year I was there and I was like, I had to find, okay, I mean, I'm like in LA, what, what store is going to sell canning jars in, you know, in such a urban area here, you know, like, cause I'm taking home figs and I'm, I canned them on my little camp stove at the KOA. I'm like, can come home with like 40 quarts of figs, you know? And, um, you know, I, I made, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Cactus fruit, cactus fruit is another thing out there that people just like, Oh, whatever, you know, pomegranates. I brought home boxes of pomegranates and then I, and when I harvested my apples around here in Wisconsin, I did a little blend of apple pomegranate. The guy at the cider mill was was pretty entertained by that. It was it was pretty cool. That's awesome, man. How did you that's something I've been meaning to learn again. My grandpa always knew how to can and I feel like uh I feel like such a child because I'm like, man, mm. I, don't, I don't know how to can. Like how am yeah. I supposed to like it's like a, a necessary skill to have. And it seems pretty easy, but uh, did you did you grow up learning a lot of those skills, or did you teach a lot of that stuff to yourself? I mean, no. I mean, um, my grandma and grandpa uh, had a garden, and they canned um, and stuff. But I, you know, I never really learned that until. So I was married and divorced in my early twenties. Um, it was, you know, a bad mistake to get married at twenty-two for me. Anyway, um, I really didn't even know what I wanted in the world, but. Uh, but we, uh, she was, she was into learning. She, she wanted to learn how to can. She got this little, little book, uh, the ball blue canning book. And it's super basic, simple, and, uh, just following recipes. And so I, you know, I did a little bit of canning with her. And then after we got a divorce, um, I kept canning stuff and then, then Linda was into canning. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to can stuff. Sometimes I use a pressure canner. Um, what's kind of cool now is because, um, I, uh, I've had this pressure canner. Now I can, um, I'm starting to explore, uh, growing mushrooms. And so like you, you know, put these mason jars with, you know, and broom corn seed. I, I'm trying that now you could, cause I make, you know, I make brooms and I've got all this seed from the broom corn plant. And so like, 
well, you could pasteurize it in the pressure canner in a jar and then inoculate it with mushroom spores. How awesome is that? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. So it's still kind of crazy that a guy in Wisconsin, Los Angeles County, tracked down to say, hey, do you want to be our, our pro broom maker at the fair? Like, how did they... <laughs> How did they even discover who you were being all the way in Wisconsin? And where are you yeah. at in Wisconsin again, Little John? I live an hour north of Milwaukee. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, um, and an hour south of Green Bay. It's kind of a convenient place, I think, on the shore of Lake Michigan. But um, anyway, yeah. So I was part, I still am part of, um, uh, there's a Yahoo group, the Broommakers Yahoo group. And, um, you know, people, uh, swap stories, uh, sell equipment, buy equipment, uh, you know, supplies, uh, share tips, uh, you know, brag about their stuff or whatever, you know, it's, it's a fun group. And, um, it's been in a, it's been in, reincarnated a couple times <laughs> over the years, but the old one, uh, is where this woman from the fair said, we're looking for a broom maker. And I, I replied and, uh, and talked with her. And like I said, the first year I couldn't make it out there, and the second year it worked out. So, and then, and then it, after after that gig, then I became the broom maker at the Erie County Fair um, outside of Buffalo, New York, in in Hamburg. And so I'm there for twelve days now. Um, I'm and then I've done a couple in Minnesota too, where I'm hired as a broom maker. Uh, this year I'm shifting. It looks like I'm going to be the broom maker at the uh, Oklahoma State Fair in um, Oklahoma City. And I'm also going to be the broom maker at the Schoharie County Fair in New York. That's so. pretty awesome, man. Uh, yeah. So because you because it, yeah, I mean that's just really cool. I wish I uh, I don't know. I've never had a handmade broom, so that's something mm -hmm. cool. Do you sell them online? Yeah, yeah. On my website, my website is plantbasedservices.com, and I sell them there. Um, and I love to trade too, you know, so a lot of times if we're in person, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, I, I swap with other vendors at events or whatever that, that felted hat that I always wear, I traded a broom for that. That's awesome. You know? That is an awesome hat. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. So when, okay. So when did you start to expand? Cause now you do more than just broom making. So you, you left, um, you, you and Linda had that company together and then, and then you guys, you guys parted ways. Yeah, we parted ways just actually on the first of the year. Oh, okay. Um, so at least on paper. I mean, she moved out a couple months before that. But um, so, yeah. And then, um, you know, but I mean, in this 12 years of being together, you know, I mean, I uh, picked up uh, beekeeping in like 08 or 09. Um, and then, I mean, I, I, I like to tell people, you know, I just go through these obsessions. You yeah. know, I kind of I get in this mode where I find something I really like and then I just put the blinders on and turn my head down and just get into it big time and then okay, now it's part of me. I've kind of absorbed it and then I move on to the next obsession. I'm like on my 5th or 6th obsession since broom making. So what okay, so take us <laughs> chronologically through your obsessions cuz this is fascinating cuz I think I feel very similar and I think most people kind of in in the whole permaculture yeah. and outskirts of permaculture community do that that are doing stuff um so what what was after broom broom uh broom making so yeah broom making i i made my first broom in april of 05 um i think 
maybe a couple years after that, I got into fruit tree grafting really heavy. And then parallel with that was I got into growing figs. And before that, I had one fig in a in a pot, and it was a pretty large pot. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the I'm the weird guy, you know, growing a fig in Wisconsin, haha, you know. And and then after getting into fruit tree grafting, I took a workshop at the uh, Midwest Organic Farming Conference. Um, man, I thought, wow, oh, I look at this fig tree, and it's like. Wonder if I could graft other stuff onto that too. Besides, I'm doing apples and pears and whatnot. And well, come to find out, there's all kinds of fig collectors all over the place on the internet. The wonderful world of the web. There's the Figs for Fun forum, and then a, there's people have split off of that and started their own forums and stuff. And so my one fig tree, within a few years of me trading cuttings off of this big tree, uh, I, I I went from one until till. Just a couple of years ago, we had that polar vortex, and it zapped out a bunch of my cuttings or my 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 plants. But I had over eighty different varieties, of, and of uh, figs of figs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if I'm gonna baby a plant, it's not gonna be an orchid on my windowsill. You know, yeah. I, I better be able to eat or do something with it. You know, yeah. and figs are pretty awesome because. Um, you know, you not only can you eat the fruit, which is actually not a fruit, it's an inside-out flower, but um, the leaves, you can dry the leaves and make a really nice tea. And um, the, the tea, to me, uh, tastes kind of like, uh, almost kind of coconutty. Um, and it's said to uh, regulate blood sugar, which is interesting. How do you, so how, did you, how do you usually just dry out the leaves? Do you just put them in, um, do you get like a dehydrator? Or, or? No, I just spread them out on a basket. Yeah, Let them, you know, yeah, spare room upstairs or something. Spread them out on a basket and you know, That's let them cool. just dry out. Yeah. What? Um. Okay. So back to grafting. Um. I actually that's like an obsession from well it's something I want to do my 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 parents actually <clears throat> they actually just recently decided that they want to homestead when my dad retires from his second job and uh-huh. uh, move to Duluth and homestead. But wow! It, yeah. So, anyways, Duluth is pretty hip, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. It's, there's more and more stuff happening around there. Yeah, my stepmom's an artist, so she really and my dad's a big Vikings fan, so they. Really I, I mean, I there. think Sepp Holzer was was sponsored to come up there um, in the last year or two. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Duluth. There's a dude. There's a dude named um, Chad Johnson has a farm, and I met him. He was. He's been on and off of Facebook. He, I think he kind of boycotts Facebook at times and then sometimes, you know, takes the pill and says, okay, I need to network. Yeah. But, uh, but he, um, Chad Johnson, I think he's got a, his place is called Mountain Spirit Farm. Um, and he's and in Duluth? He's in Duluth. Yeah. Spirit, uh, or no, he was, he also on his card, I, th- I have his card somewhere. I have a big book, a big binder with pages of cards that I, I collect cards and try to keep in touch with people. But um, yeah, I met him at a, at a couple events. Um, he wanted me to do a broom class up there. I never was able to get up there. Yeah, how far? Well, that's not. Too, it's not too far from you, right? It's only probably like four hours. Um, it's four hours to Lacrosse for okay. me to, to the other side of Wisconsin. So Duluth, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look it up, but it. it I mean, it could be like six eight. Hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget how big Wisconsin and Minnesota are, like wide. Um, yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't made it up there, but anyways, they have this peach tree that's a total like it it's it's never spit out good fruit. Like it always has huh. like pussy looking fruit. At and, your place? Nah, it's in Toledo, so it's oh. in like um the front yard in Toledo, and they've had this peach tree there. My grandpa has a healthy peach tree, and it's always been very productive like my grandpa's pretty good with trees and stuff like that mm-hmm. it, it, and i never and he's like really old now so he's really happy that i'm i'm like getting into this because it's he's like you're getting you're getting to your hillbilly roots boy but uh anyways um so my whole plan was just to graft it you know cut off the top part of the tree and put a branch on there and then graft it there but is now can you do that any time or is like is it too late to graft or is there a specific time you'd want to graft no so first thing is um you want to collect dormant cuttings um in probably january or february um of the variety you that you want your desired variety and your cuttings your cyan wood uh is typically you know last year's growth uh, long and straight shoots and then you'd keep that in the fridge in a Ziploc bag, maybe with a little damp piece of uh, paper towel or newspaper in with it just to keep it from drying out. Then your mother tree that you want to graft over, um, you, uh, you want to make sure that the leaves have started to open up. This old-timers rule is that um, graft when the leaves are the size of a squirrel's ear. Yeah. And that way you know that there's life force, there's juice coming up from the roots, and it's going to feed the little cuttings that you put on the branches. And so now if you start getting too far into the season and there's a lot of vegetative growth, you can run the risk of flooding the graft because it'll weep too much uh, or that extra weeping could att- attract aphids or other bugs that are going to go after the union. Uh, or if it starts getting too late, then the bark doesn't want to slip. So, you know, you may have to, if it gets too late in the season, then you'd have to do a bud graft, which is a different type of graft. But, um, yeah, if you're just looking at taking some cuttings and attaching them in, graft them when the leaves are the size of a squirrel's ear. Okay. So it wouldn't be a good idea for me to just go up there next week and cut a branch off of my grandpa's tree and then just try to connect it to another tree. No, no, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. glad I asked you because that was totally my plan without any research and watching Permaculture Orchard and thinking that looks pretty easy. I think yeah. I could do that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I totally, uh, I totally, totally uh, threw an anchor in that conversation, but that was very interesting. No, not at all. No, I mean, it's grafting is, is a passion of mine. And by, you know, I mean, it's, it is about timing, though. Yeah. You know, if you do it at the wrong time, and I've I've had a lot of mistakes and successes over the years with the grafting scene. So, yeah, know. that's what my my stepmom said. I think it's too late in the season, and I was like, no, I don't think so. And, yeah, uh, no, it's not too late actually. If you already have dormant cuttings that you can graft onto that, but that taking tree. it <laughs> taking it a fresh branch from a tree. So, so the idea thing would be next January going to my grandpa's house, cutting off a branch, and then storing it and then trying to do it um with maybe a couple months later to yeah okay yeah or maybe you know you could put the word out now you can get cuttings in the mail from people off the north american cyan exchange or nafx facebook groups say hey i want to go graft my grandpa's tree anybody have 
any peach cuttings. And there you go. You can get another variety. That's a great idea. I never even I thought d- about that. I get cuttings in the mail all the time. A lot of times what you'd have to do, if you don't have anything to trade, you could just say, hey, I'll pay for shipping or, you know, worst case scenario, even you, you could buy them if you really, you know, wanted them that bad. But yeah, there's all kinds of guys that will have cuttings in the fridge just like me. Like I don't have any peach cuttings right now. Otherwise, I'd, you know, offer some to you, but... That's awesome. Yeah. What what cutting? So, how many varieties of fruit trees do you do you have? Well, actually, how like do you have a big property? Then do you have? Um- so yeah, well, um, last year, Linda and I bought a forty acre farm in the county to the north of us, forty miles away, a forty acre farm. <laughs> um, well, then you know, remodeling started happening, and I you know, and I was right there with a carpenter and electrician and stuff, and. And, uh, you know, then our relationships kept getting more and more tense and we decided to call it quits and sold the place. And we, we actually closed on the farm just after the first of the year. So, gotcha. Gotcha. And so then all the fruit trees that I had either propagated and also, uh, got from nurseries and things like that, uh, planting, you know, I was looking at planting a big orchard up there. I was, had a big, uh, big printout of the map and I, you know, laminated it so I could like draw stuff on it and put stickers on it. I was, I was going all out with a big old plan of development of planting all kinds of cool stuff. Cause there was a lot of, a lot of pasture space and I wasn't really looking at having a whole lot of grazing animals, you know? Um, and so then, yeah, that went. So now in my yard in the city of Sheboygan, where I live, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, town of 50,000 people. Um, and I have a small lot. Uh, it's a good thing. I still have my house. I, I actually own my house. I paid it off about five years ago. Um, but then, um, yeah, I used some of my old 401k from the factory to pay that. Off. <laughs> That's good. It was like, man, man yeah, I'm not going to sit with this thing looming over me. You know, I mean, I don't like being under a loan to begin with. You yeah. Know? Did but, you rent it out for a short period of time? Or no, just, just kept living in the house. And, yeah, working <laughs> up there and bringing stuff up. Now I got multiple nurse beds packed around the house and all. What's going on? You got oh, a phone man. call All there. Sudden, my landline started ringing here in my <laughs> ear. Yeah, it's a woman from a, a another uh, a, a previous student from a grafting class. Uh, once in a while, they you know people keep in touch with me, and then I sell off extra rootstocks or you know hook them up with cutting stuff like that. So I just yeah sent it to voicemail. Oh no worries. Yeah, that that's the one bad part about. Uh, um Skype on the phone sometimes. Um, <laughs> but hey, that's what makes this podcast real and interesting. So <laughs> so you have um so you, you got you 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 have beds now all around. Are you are you are you using that to propagate or Yeah, yeah. And um I'm well right now I just have because it was like last fall I brought all these plants back. So I just basically dug down some soil, healed in all these potted plants, and then the beauty of living in the city is the street sweeper comes by in the fall and piles up all these leaves. And so I had them pile them up right in front of my house, and I just started covering all my beds with these leaves. That's awesome. Yeah, it totally, totally insulated them. Uh, years ago, I made the mistake of leaving some some potted trees out just along the sidewalk, you know, in my backyard. And, and uh, yeah, they're very vulnerable when they're in pots. So Yeah, I have mine in pots. I got some trees from Grant. And uh, I have mine in pots in um, in a greenhouse, but that greenhouse mm. I just got, and I'm like, 
I uh, a couple times I was saved by a friend coming over to my house when I wasn't here at lunchtime saying, yo, man, you really need to open up this greenhouse because you're going to kill everything <laughs> you have in there. So it's like I'm still I'm still learning quite a bit, but I got uh, I got like a bunch of chestnut trees from uh, Grant, and I'm actually I've sold a few, but I I feel like I want to use a lot of it to just trade for other species. Yeah, it's, like it's fun to get in the game because people are like, well, I'll trade you for some. I have this and that. I'm like, yeah, man, that sounds great. And, <laughs> and so there's a lot of people that so it's going to be fun to get a variety of different stuff and then to to plant it. Um, so. Okay, so so we were at grafting. Um, we were just talking about your property, though. You have that. So how many how many different species do you have then on your urban lot? Well, not permanently planted right now, but I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff in pots that I'm trying to sell. Like I've got um, some apples and pears I've grafted, and I try to graft more um, unusual stuff: red fleshed apples, red fleshed pears. Um, you know, some old heirloom apples here and there. That, um, and then I've got some quinces in pots, uh, aronia, some pawpaws, a lot of cornelian cherries. I'm really big on cornelian cherries. That's one of my obsessions. Uh, that was, I need a, <laughs> that's one of the lists that we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Do you can a lot of those or do you, do you, um, for the cherries, like do you save a lot of them and can them? Yeah, I do a bunch of stuff with them. Um, I probably do a whole podcast. You know, <laughs> yeah, on, on Cornelian Cherry. I actually uh, I did a 20-minute presentation for uh, North American Fruit Explorers, NAFX folks, uh, at their annual meeting last year. And it, that was like barely enough. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, yeah. so, uh, so you have cherries, you have that, and then um, so you got quite a bit. Now, do, so do you use, do you kind of sell, do, like do you run a nursery kind of then out of your house as well then? Well, right now I'm just trying to sell plants that I, I am, you know, have a surplus of. I don't know if I'd really call myself a nursery, and especially for legal reasons, you know, yeah. I'm I'm not calling myself a nursery. I'm just a dude, you know, trying to sell some some of the plants that I I have now because I'm not, uh, you know, at the farm. But yeah, this year, you know, with these big raised beds that I'm doing in the backyard, I'm gonna be putting all my little rootstocks in there. I'll be able to graft them a lot easier, and I'll be able to. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to plant some big trees, a couple big trees in the backyard too, because I had a, I had a peach in my backyard and it finally died. Um, it's just, yeah, growing stone fruit in my yard is, I've over the years has, has been a real uh, futile exercise. It's, uh, I mean, uh, the peach ever always got uh, peach leaf curl, fungal disease, and then I started grafting over it because I thought, well, rather than spray it all the time, I'll just grow stuff that's more disease resistant and i was growing apricots on it and some japanese plums and stuff like that and then a borer some sort of borer got into the trunk and killed the whole tree and so yeah now i'm going with pawpaws and persimmons <laughs> yeah how do persimmons taste because i know um i i saw them on grant's website um new farm supply which people listening you actually get 20 percent with discount code sample so I got a nice deal to help promote Grant with and make a nice relationship with the, the show. But um, I was nice. looking at those uh, to try to, because um, I was like, because Grant, I mean, I, there's still like a lot of stuff I don't like. I don't know. I don't know a lot of stuff about edible fruits even in North America. And I think most people don't. So mm -hmm. what? What? Because it looks kind of like a citrus. Now what? A pear. Well, uh, the uh, a pop. I mean, a persimmon. 
So if you go to the grocery store, sometimes you can find Asian persimmons, right? A lot of people think they almost look like a tomato. Okay. You know, it's big orange, you know, blah. Well, so there's, there's Asian persimmon and there's American persimmon. So Asian persimmon, diospyros, uh, khaki, and then American persimmon, diospyros, virginiana. And so the American persimmon is more cold hardy. The fruit are smaller and they are astringent when they're not ripe. Uh, the khaki persimmon, you can just, you know, uh, you can slice them and dry them when they're still firm. Um, you know, they're, they're not astringent. Uh, they're not, I don't think they're quite as flavorful a lot of times, but maybe, you know, I haven't always eaten the best ones, <laughs> but, uh, the American persimmon, there's, like I said, they're smaller. They'll be maybe golf ball size. And if you, if you try to eat one, that's not like soft, soft, it'll like dry out your mouth, you know, like trying to chew on an acorn or something. There's, there's tannins in there. And so, um, you know, what'll happen when, when you harvest persimmons, you can let them, uh, sit out on a, on a, maybe a, a spare table upstairs in your, your, your back room or whatever, like you would ripen green tomatoes at yeah. the end of the season. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll do that with the persimmons. When I go, I go forage them, uh, in Missouri, when I travel through that way for a show. And, um, so then I'll bring them home. Um, and you know, the ripest ones, of course, I can run through my food mill. I use a couple different types of food mills. I use one called a Victorio strainer, uh, which is really awesome. And then um, another one, just a, like a Foley food mill, which is like a paddle that, that just rolls around in the middle. But um, And the Foley is the best for the, uh, for the uh, persimmons because they have real flat seeds, you know, and real large flat seeds the size of your, maybe your fingernail or something. And, uh, and then that fine pulp comes out, and then I can use that pulp for all kinds of stuff, uh, persimmon pudding or persimmon bread, you know? Um, and then, and I tried to make a persimmon jam. It's so high in pectin, man. I mean, I didn't, I don't know if, I don't think I even added pectin or if I did, it was very little. <laughs> and I put it in these like half pint jars. I, I sweetened it a little bit on the stove. I'm like, this is going to make a nice jam. Can it, you know, boiling water canner, follow the recipe. And, uh, you know, a week or two later, I'm like, oh, let's open it up and see what it's like. You know, it turned into a persimmon log. I mean, I could have used a corkscrew to pull out an entire cake of persimmon <laughs> in that jar. It's so high in pectin. Uh, and like we had people over. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So like I pulled it out and I just started slicing it in coins. <laughs> <laughs> and then people were putting it on crackers. I'm like, oh, this is good. Yeah. How did it taste? Um, it tastes good. I mean, not quite as good as, you know, a fresh persimmon, of course, but, uh, yeah, it tastes good. Um, yeah, a lot of times I like to go to big Asian grocery stores and you can get, uh, dried persimmons there. You can get dried jujubes, um, at, um, uh, Asian grocery stores too. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with the pawpaws at the pawpaw festivals in, uh, Athens, Ohio and, uh, a local mm. brewery down there makes a pawpaw beer, which is solid. Oh, man. I so badly want to go to that pawpaw festival in Ohio. I mean, that sounds like uh, you know quite a fun time. Yeah. We'll have to – hey, man, if you do, I'll meet you there. We'll have a good time. Uh, All right. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – because I know uh, uh, Joel Salatin goes sometimes. Um, at least he he did when my buddy – when Joel went. Uh, but, huh. uh, 
Okay, so let's go back to the the life of little John. I'm having so much fun talking to you, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, so so to the passions, it was broom making, then tree grafting, and figs, yeah, and figs, and then it was the um, cherries, uh, bees. No, I got into bees. bees. Yeah, I got into bees super heavy. Um, just dove in. I've kept bees in multiple styles of hives. Uh, you know, I mean, your regular basic hive is your uh, Langstroth hive, right? I mean, it's your standard 10 frames, stack box, you know, style, regular old hive. Been around in the United States since the 1850s. Um, and so those are the first, oh no, the first ones I got actually were were from uh, a guy, a buddy of mine, actually, I started, I got to be friends with him after a while. He built this uh, these uh, Waré hives, right? And so a Waré hive is like a stack box hive, but they've got just top bars in them. Uh, so it's a cross between your Langstroth and a top bar hive. So then I thought, well, I might as well get a top bar hive too. And so I got a couple top bar hives. My dad, he's retired. He's in Florida Got sick of Wisconsin winters. Um, so he, I said, Pops, you know, here, I'll email him these plans. Build me a top bar hive, you know, and, you know, covered some of his costs for his materials and stuff. And, uh, yeah, he, he whipped up a couple of hives for me. And, uh, you know, top bar hives, they're kind of a novelty, you know. I mean, yeah, they're cool, whatever. But, um, you know, and the Waray hive, you know, yeah, that was kind of neat, kind of fun. I've, I've kept bees and I even built a, a, a bee gum. I, I found a big hollow log at the dump and I cut it in half and put hinges on one side of it and put a hook on the other to close it up and put combs in it, built a little roof for the top of it. Um, so, I mean, I've kept bees in a bunch of different things and I, you know, I still just want to keep coming back to your traditional Langstroth hive because, I mean, if I go to my bee club meeting, a lot of old farts, old timers, whatever. Oh man, I ran out of boxes. I need more equipment. Can, can you know, can I, uh, can, does anybody else have a, a, a top bar hive? Oh no. Well, okay. <laughs> you know, or I mean, and you can't add boxes onto a top bar. You can't, you know, if they, if the hive keeps growing and growing and growing, um, you know, it's hard to insulate a top bar hive. Um, oh, you know, it's top bar hives are so much more humane for the bees because, you know, you're not making them, you're not dictating what size cell they should make by putting foundation down and all that. So go foundationless, man. You know, I mean, they can build their own comb if you go foundationless in a regular stack box, you know, Langstroth hives. So, you know, I mean, for ease and for standardization of equipment, um, you know, yeah, I stick with the 10 frame you know, regular equipment. So yeah. So do you think? Uh, so sometimes people are too, or are projecting uh, some feelings for bees without necessarily looking at what what solution could I have to make this work for me and the bees. Yeah, I mean, like the flow hive. Everyone's all hot. Oh, the flow hive. Oh my god, this is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and over and over again, uh, my friends on Facebook either private message me or you know, and a, a while back, I figured out I can disable people so that they can't post on my page. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, this is like over. Like, I mean, like one time, it was like you could tell when stuff gets trendy and comes back up again and goes down again. It's like. Okay, I got two people today posting the flow hive on my page now, you know, like, yeah, it looks neat, it looks cool, but you know, you're using all this plastic and I mean, like, you're turning like bees into like some sort of a light switch, you know, like some on demand, 
you know, sweetener source, which, you know, like these are like tiny livestock, you know, you got to tend them. You can't just turn, you know, treat them like some on-demand thing, you know. I've never thought of bees like tiny livestock and it makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, it's like a really simple way of putting it that I never, never mm-hmm. considered. I just was like, oh, they're insects, but they're yeah. pollinators and they're <laughs> cool insects. Um, so well, that's pretty cool. So you went to bees and then you went to the cherries. Yeah. And so it, the cherries, how did you get obsessed with the cherries? Oh, man, <laughs> it was crazy. Well, you know, so I bought this book, um, Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden by Lee Reich. And that, I mean, he's written a few other books on uh, on fruit trees and, and landscaping with fruit and stuff. And, um, you know, he, he writes... He writes other articles, I think, maybe for for other gardening magazines and stuff like that. And um, nice guy. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. I've gotten cuttings from him, too. <laughs> I'm always collecting cuttings. <laughs> Got awesome. some in the mail from him uh, of a Cornelian cherry, matter of fact. But, uh, yeah, so I read his book and a lot of cool stuff in there. And I just all of a sudden I read about this Cornelian cherry um, and I thought, you know, well, it sounds neat. You know, I mean, native to Eastern Europe supposed to be pretty cold hardy probably would grow where i'm at i don't know anybody growing it i just so happens i'm like well you know later on maybe that summer or whatever i was traveling somewhere and a nursery had like one in a pot and and it had a couple berries on it or cherries on it so i'm like well tasted one and it was not ripe but it was close and i thought man i can see the potential in this you know, and I, and more and more, I keep thinking about niche markets. You know, I'm like, yeah. you know, like the niche markets, you know, yeah, they might be a gamble, but like, that's where the, there's the potential, you know, that, I mean, a, yeah, and it's everybody's also a hip doing thing. apples. Yeah. What's that? It's also a hip thing. Like what is a niche market? Like if you can present it correctly, yeah, you can really get people excited about it. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. So. Everyone's so, yeah. doing apples, as you just said, though. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's doing apples, and of course, you know there are craft cider makers, and you know they're they're you know kicking it up a notch and whatnot, and that's great, you know. But so, um, so yeah, the Cornelian cherry thing came along, and you know, and I tasted those. I thought these are great, and so I bought that tree, and I planted it in my front yard, and uh, then I I noticed it. You know, it's in my space. Wow, it flowers really early. It flowers like the same time forsythia does. And it's flowers so early that the honeybees um, aren't really even out because it's still a little too cool for the honeybees to fly. But the Cornelian cherry is flowering. And I'm looking at it. It's getting pollinated by like flies and beetles. And and I think, and sometimes, you know, on a warm day, yep, the bees will come out and, and pollinate it. And so then I start noticing, whoa, there's other Cornelian cherries planted at the city park holy cow there's four of them and then there's one you know there's a hedge of four or five of them planted behind this this tavern in town this this bar down by the lake there's uh there's a bunch of them there and a buddy of mine i pick them up from work well there's four of them behind his workplace and they're like dropping cherries all over the ground and i'm like oh yeah opportunist here i am you know (laughs) and uh i talked to the boss uh at that guy's work and i said hey you know, can I come over here, lay down my tarps, shake branches, collect all these and, you know, make your life a little easier and make my life a whole lot more wonderful. And, uh, yeah, come on, you know, come and get them, you know? 
So that was probably five years ago. I've been going there every year, um, collecting Cornelian cherries. Maybe it was four years ago. No, because it's 2016 now. Um, anyway, yeah. And so I would just continue to, you know, make stuff with the cherries, uh, learn about them. Um, I'm mean, actually trying to put together a book, but it's like I don't really type, you know, and so <laughs> and I'm not a writer. Uh, but you know, I'm putting together a lot of a lot of good info. And um yeah, I mean now last year and I, I I've continued also to connect with people who are growing or have maybe uh found a selected variety. A friend of mine on Facebook, he uh posted that he there was a Cornelian cherry that was like fruiting in like the end of July and he was eating fruit off of it. Normally you harvest Cornelian cherries in like late August, September. And so like, this is like a total early, you know, early variety. And even if it's just some, ran- you know, it's, it's some random seedling. And even if the fruit isn't that awesome, like, whoa, I want cuttings of this because man, if I'm going to, even if I get into some kind of a breeding program, you know, like how cool would that be? Yeah. Well, Cornelian cherries have been really challenging to graft. Um, they're they're very the wood is real hard, and uh, for me, I've had a hard time grafting them. So I've been sharing cuttings with other people who maybe have another way of of propagating. And so I've been I was looking for someone for a long time that does tissue culture. Um, you know, like it's yeah. not that easy to track down someone that does tissue culture on a private scale, you know, either, yeah, I know you know, Grant either you're Monsanto to, uh, or not. Yeah. Know? Grant said he had to send, uh, he has to get his honey berries from a lab. Like he gets those propagated in a lab cause it's tissue culture. Like, yeah. He said that. Sorry, keep going. So that's all right. Yeah. Seed savers exchange in Decorah, Iowa, they do tissue culture with their potatoes. But, uh, as far as doing it, you know, like if someone would say, Hey, I have a custom job for you. Here's my Cornelian cherries. Uh, no, they don't do any outside stuff to sort of even to find someone privately that does it. So this year or like over the winter, I don't know, somehow it clicked. I found one guy in North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, who, uh, works with the university and he's, he, he has a, uh, budding, uh, obsession with Cornelian cherry, which is cool. Um, and so I'm like fan in the flame for him. I sent him a bunch of cuttings this year. He's going to try doing some tissue culture and, uh, he's got a, uh, I guess there's a guy on staff. That's a grafting wizard that will try to graft some too. So, Hey, great. The more, the merrier. And then for me sharing the genetics, I'm going to get, you know, get some back, uh, which is, which is awesome. And then I'll, I also met, uh, another friend on Facebook who, retired from some big, you know, agro business or something and, um, has a farm. I, her and her husband do in, in, I think in Ohio and she does tissue prop tissue culture in her home. She has a home lab and she has other ways of propagating. She says too. So I'm like, well, I'll send you a couple things and we'll just see how it goes. And, uh, sounds like she's, she's having some success. I, I sent her some cuttings of, uh, of a tree called um, Chi. Have you ever heard of Chi? Um, no, like, no, I've never heard of Chi. What is Chi? Okay, so Chi is also. The, the Asian, you know. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> or Che, right? Like yeah. some people call it Che, C H E. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's not a, a Cuban revolutionary either. It's, <laughs> uh, it's actually sometimes uh, it's called Mandarin Melonberry. 
Huh. And uh, the botanical name escapes me right now. But anyway, it's uh, it's related to figs and mulberries and closely related to Osage orange. So you're familiar with uh, hedge apples? Yes. Yeah. So that tree is the rootstock for chi. And so a lot of people will graft that onto, onto the Osage. And then you, you know, you've got this wonderful tree that is pretty hardy because it's on a pretty solid rootstock. And I think on its own roots, supposedly it does a lot of suckering. So it turns more bush-like. Well, my thought is, well, geez, if it suckers a little bit or more, that's great. Then I'll just keep, you know, generating more plants. And um, so this woman in Ohio is going to try to just root some for me. And she said she's having good luck. So That's awesome. You'll have to uh, connect me with her if I ever need need her assistance because there's all the permaculture folks here in Ohio that probably, like I know. uh, Oh, yeah. Rob Kaiser and Greg Burns and uh, Steve Harbold, all those dudes are, they're, uh, they'd probably be, be, be down to network with her as well. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Kaiser's, that's a guy I'd, I'd like to connect with sometime too. Well, actually, Rob, uh, so Rob and I roomed together and I assumed you guys might have met each other from the last time. He goes, man, we briefly crossed paths. Yeah. Seems like a super cool guy. You should totally have him on your podcast. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, yeah. totally will. Uh, I think I saw, didn't he get a tattoo recently on his wrist that uh, said, like it was a metal, metal alert bracelet for yeah. epilepsy? Yeah, I was with him. So we went, yeah. um, we actually were, he, because Rob lived in San Diego for a while, that area. So before the conference was there, Rob and I both said, yeah, we're going in early. And um, so Rob and I roomed together, and him and I just kind of hung out a couple days before. So yeah. we went down to uh, his buddy has a tattoo shop down. It's like the Avocado um, hmm. City in, in mm. Southern California. And, okay. Uh, every it's like apparently it's like weed and avocados, which is funny. <laughs> and so his buddy, his buddy actually tattooed it there. So we did. It. He actually did that at PV three. So cool. that's yeah. So um, and then uh. So how did you? So what was the? So let's see. We've run. So well, it's cherries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to just one last note on the Rob thing. I yeah. had epilepsy when I was younger. Oh no way, man. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. It seems like maybe I grew out of it or what. But as a child, I had epilepsy, and I still remember what it's like having an epileptic seizure. You know, um, the visuals right before everything goes black. You know, and and uh, yeah, and I just. Uh, I think what helped me is uh, raw milk, you know, a high fat diet. Your brain needs fat. Yeah. There's something called the ketogenic diet, yeah. which, uh, you know, is fed to a lot of younger people. But I, you know, I consumed a lot of raw milk when I got with Linda. And then also, I, um, you know, I, I started recently thinking maybe some of my experimenting when I was a, a you know, 19, 20 year old, you know, because I was just, I just saw an article recently. Uh, psilocybin uh, magic mushrooms have yeah. been shown to regrow brain cells. It's interesting, man. I know, I know he's 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 definitely. I've talked to him about it. I know. I don't want to speak totally for him, but I know he's right. he's done experimenting before, and he thinks something. He doesn't know, like, because I think his is. I'm not sure. I'm not. Mm. He hasn't had it. I think in over a year, because him and I talked about it quite a bit. But I know personally, man. Um, I didn't like I didn't I actually was listening to JRE uh, or Joe Rogan experience and then mm. 
they're talking he was always plugging this john hopkins study about psilocybin yeah and uh so i was miserable in corporate america and was working i I worked. I was one of those kiosk dudes in the mall that tried to sell you, stop you, and talk to you about your cell phone. <laughs> like I did that for a few years. Wanted to get out of it within the company, and I could not. They would not let me work anywhere else. Uh. Um, and uh, and then man, I got really depressed and everything, and ended up getting a DUI. And then uh, I was supposed to go to the job that I had now, and the and. It, Basically, I, I just kind of messed up on filling out my background information, and so I, I I had my offer rescinded at the work because I had a I had a public urination from being drunk uh-huh. and partying and peeing outside, which is not uh-huh. as which is not a sex offense. So right. for anybody <laughs> listening, it's, it's a minor misdemeanor. And and, uh, are, and are you single too, or are you? Are you <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I am single. I am single. Just so you know, so ladies, it was not a sex offense. So yeah, it is yeah. available. <laughs> yeah, I am available. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I uh, I done research on it and um, got access to some some psilocybin. I think I ate like an eighth of mushrooms and kind of press reset. And then I just started. You know, it, it was interesting because it was, you know, the, the whole message I got was, you know, you need to love yourself because mm. how, how is anybody else supposed to love you if you can't even love you? Yeah. And then the other one was, which took me a long time to figure out, was get outside more. And I mm. had no idea what that meant. And then I still spent the next two years inside trying to get outside more, figuring out what that meant. And then finally, um, like a year ago, was in Joel and I reconnected and then we just started doing the urban farming thing and then i discovered the permaculture thing and it's like man i just kind of hit uh-huh. the, it's totally changed my podcast and hit the ground running so how long um, have you been doing the podcast uh this is since 2012 the end of 2012 i just cool. got rid of most of the old episodes because there's <laughs> a lot of you if you subscribe anybody listening if you want to listen to the, the the dog shit episodes that i made no, there was just some episodes where it was just like I was trying to figure out what direction to take in my podcast. So the mm-hmm. whole point of the sample hour was, okay, let's have let's have, you know, a couple different options. So let's do, you know, we were doing some sports ones. I was helping my friends do podcasts. There was like a, 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 uh, my my buddy and I used to do a terrible cast, which was <laughs> which was pretty funny. His his name is Terrible B Hop. And he's one of my best friends, but he ended up having kids. And actually, I'd probably still do that one, but he ended up having a couple kids, and now it's just really hard to schedule with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, man, like I, when I had, um, you know, I, I just started doing the whole urban agriculture thing, and then that kept opening up, you know, different rabbit holes. So, I mean, I feel exactly the same way when you're talking about. I just put my blinders on and try to learn a bunch about <laughs> it. And right now, like I'm really focusing on, you know, urban farming and and Curtis yeah. Stone and Jam's methods. But, you know, man, I don't, I definitely see the value in perennial growth too. I mean, perennials, mm, mm. especially when it comes to, you know, uh, doing, you know, looking at Grant Schultz and what he's doing, and and that was another reason. I mean, that was part of the reason why I want to get you on. It was funny because you're like, yeah, Grant actually hooked me up going to P- <laughs> PV too. Yeah, I know. It was so awesome. I, Grant posted, uh, he posted something on Facebook about, um, hey, if you can make it, you know, if, if you can, uh, I don't know, whatever, fly out, uh, I got an extra ticket, you know, and I can hook you up for free. And I was like, whoa, 
well, let's see if I can make it happen. And so, yeah, Linda had some airline miles and, you know, I paid for um, lodging with my buddy Drew Carlson and then a couple other people. And, um, and so, yeah, four of us split a room. And so it was, it was pretty economical being there. I mean, I just walked over from the airport to the whatever it was, the Radisson. And you walked over. That's so funny, man. Yeah. I'm dragging my, uh, my suitcase or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then just then walked back and flew out and that was the end of it. Yeah. Well, I, I did some foraging when I was there at PV2. I couldn't resist, man. Wandering around. Uh, there was, uh, like, um, some, a gumi bush there and I was munching on some loquats and yeah, I mean, I would, I would forage the hell out of San Diego if I was there I know when I was in Sacramento, I remember uh, it was weird seeing the wild orange trees, and there's just oranges in the street. Mm. And I was like, "This is this is nuts, man!" Like <laughs> this stuff is like I I just bought some Valencia oranges from Mexico, which <laughs> tastes like sh- well, they taste good to juice, but to mm-hmm. like peel and eat, like it's it's a it's a pain in the ass and it's messy. It tastes mm-hmm. good, but it's just a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, okay, so finishing up here on your passions, and I don't know how much time you have. I usually do an hour, but I don't want to – I know you're I, self-employed, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Yeah. Unless no, you got I mean, I got, I got time. Cool. I got time. Well, One I'm of my other fun passions. talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said, cool, I'm having fun talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, one of my other passions, uh, which uh, Linda really inspired me to do when we were together, was to get into personal growth work. Yeah. Right. And so permaculture, permanent agriculture or permanent culture. I mean, you, you, you know, you need to, I mean, I, I needed to, I'll own that. Right. I needed to, um, grow up uh, a little more and, um, and I, and to, to work on some of my issues and, and, uh, yeah. So started out with nonviolent communication uh, Linda and I went to several workshops um, on that, and really powerful stuff. NVC is is just a really awesome model for communication. Yeah, uh, my friend, then, uh, my friend Daryl Becker. He uh, I had him on a few years back. He's really, really into that. I don't. You guys should uh, connect. He's in Hawaii. You guys should connect, though. Especially he's he's that's he's really big into NVC. Sorry, I didn't mean to just yeah, shamelessly no, plug my friend. No worries. But, yeah, I mean NVC is I mean yeah, it's like worldwide. It's it's pretty awesome. Started by, you know, one guy, Marshall Rosenberg and um and the you know, people are in practice groups and all that and yeah, I tried to get one going in this little town here but um it kind of fizzled out. Um but anyway, yeah, then after that it was March March of 07, I uh I did this uh men's weekend. It's called the New Warrior Training Adventure. And it's through the Mankind Project, and uh, Dude, you know that's, the, that's so funny. Daryl Becker does that as well. I'm not, really? Yeah, I'll have you have to connect. You guys keep going. Man. Yeah, he's yeah. In well, my, I mean, uh, he's in my mastermind my group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean the, the weekend rocked my world. You know, I mean, I had uh, I had quit smoking pot. I used to smoke a lot of pot, and so I quit smoking pot, and then like I had all this energy, and I had a lot of emotional stuff float up that what I was stuffing with marijuana. And so like I that's right away I vented all that into the brooms and kept making brooms and doing all kinds of stuff with brooms and and then I found this weekend and started to peel back the layers of the onion 
And uh, wow, it was powerful, powerful weekend. I mean, I uh, I walked off of that weekend, left, and I felt so emotionally uplifted. I felt like I was high. Yeah. Uh, and it was so, it felt so good. And to be part of a brotherhood, a fraternal organization that is not about you know doing keg stands and you know panty raids. It's it's about becoming a better man in the world and, and being a positive male role model. And so that really felt good to me. And so, I mean, I have gone on to staff uh, weekends with the uh, Wisconsin chapter. Um, I was even the training director for three years where I, I organized the, the weekends at the kids camp in Northern Wisconsin and saw a lot of other men get what I got. Yeah. Do you teach? Just, uh, do you teach those kids foraging at all? Do you take any? <laughs> no. The funny thing was on those weekends, like uh, sometimes I would just work in the kitchen, and I'd be like, "Oh man, uh, you know, I'd get some space or go for a little walk in the woods." And like the dandelions were up, but I they had this awesome convection oven, so like I harvested all these dandelions, and I I took all the roots and I roasted them, and I made a dandelion coffee. And uh, the guys in the kitchen drank it with me, you know. And, and for a long time, I was known as the dandelion man, you know. <laughs> that's awesome. I've, that's something that we have so many dandelions here, man. Yeah. Uh, and it's like something I've always looked to do, but I've just, it's like just been too big of a wuss to do it. Like, do you just dry out the roots or how, you just cook it? No, I like to. So, what I do when I make a dandelion root coffee is I will, uh, I'll dig up all the roots and uh, the plants and then you know top off the greens uh sometimes the greens are kind of beat up if if they're good you know you can eat those too right yeah um and then so uh i'll take those roots in a bucket and fill a bucket full of water and agitate them and just wash them all off best i can uh you know get them real clean and then i'll dice them up uh into uniform size pieces you know pencil eraser size whatever and then um I'll put them on a pan, uh, a, sh- a shallow dish or something in the in the oven, put it on a high heat of maybe 400 or 450, and then um, you know just uh, every 10, 20 minutes, go peek on them, stir them with a spoon, uh, and I'll make sure that they're getting uh, you know turned. And at first they'll start steaming, and then they start roasting, and uh, it's a done deal. And then you pull them out. You can I store them as is in a jar or grind them in a little coffee grinder, um, and jar you know put them in a jar on the shelf with a your label. That's interesting. And then you can just use it like you could put it in a French press. Yeah, that's what I use. Pour over or anything. I started using a pour over. I got really snobby about my coffee, and my friend's <laughs> dad said well, I used to use French press, but I found this tastes way better. And huh. then and I bought this kit and I started doing it at work like a hipster, and it does taste way better. <laughs> Anyways. So then you okay? So you so you're at the men's group. You make dandelion coffee. Um, yeah. But last were, time I was up there, I, I last weekend I staffed too. I I ran. I did a little hike in the woods, and I came back and I cooked up a bunch of chanterelle mushrooms <laughs> in the kitchen <laughs> with some butter. Yeah. Now was cooking did that become like a passion too? Was it with that, or is that uh, just something you just naturally like? I got all this food. I should probably learn how to cook it. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, in my relationship with Linda. You know, I was the forager and she was the cook. You know, she could take anything and and turn it into, you know, some really amazing food. Um, so, And I was always very efficient at getting out there and harvesting a lot of stuff, you know, and being efficient about how I harvest and, you know, things like that. Now, do you ever harvest that stuff and try to sell it to restaurants or anything like that? I have a little bit. Yeah, I have a little bit. Um, 
you know, and, and this year I might, I might try to do that uh, with like morel mushrooms and things. I mean, um, ramps, ramps are huge here. Like we've been on a, yeah. a, a tear. I don't know right. if you guys have a bunch of ramps there as well, but I love them, man. They're delicious. Yeah, they are. I like to make pickled ramps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I mean, ramps are, are pretty trendy right now. And there's also the question of ethical harvesting too, you know, like, yeah. I mean, more and more and ramps almost are the poster child of that because they can be, you know, wiped out and, and not really, you know, they can, it can take years for them to limp back into, you know, yeah. a, a sustainable patch again. Um, which there's is, a place, which is a big near, reason why we're keeping it a secret where we harvest from. Yeah. That's a good idea. It. That's a good idea. Yeah, because it can, you know, it looks like, oh, there's a carpet of ramps. And then, you know, you keep telling people, telling people. I mean, there's, um, so the guy that taught me how to hunt morel mushrooms when I was, you know, back in the day, right? He uh, he took me to his spot. And uh, it was, there were only like three people that knew about the spot before me. It was himself, his wife, and their family friend. And, um, and then all of a sudden, well, friend told a buddy, well, and then someone else told a buddy. And then like, I would go there and I don't even know who the heck I'm seeing at this one spot. Like, how do you know to go right to this spot for the mushrooms? Because, you know, it's, it's been, (laughs) it's been shared too many times, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, I used to take people out, uh, on guided, uh, morel mushroom hunts. I did that for, uh, I don't know, it was five or six years. And, uh, I charge a flat fee and we would go out, we would, we would, um, we'd meet at a certain place out in public land and we'd go out and we'd, we'd, uh, hunt morels and I'd, I'd give people a general, you know, a, a idea of how to do it. We would sweep through the woods, um, you know, all kind of, you know, in line and, uh, try, you know, try not to get lost, um, or twist an ankle or whatever, <laughs> And, um, and then we'd come back and we would, uh, I'd have my little camp stove on the tailgate of my truck and we'd fry up some morels. Uh, everyone would throw in a, a couple shrooms and we'd fry up some morels and some butter right there. And we'd all, you know, enjoy the fruits of our labors and we'd go home. And, uh, and I, I always told everybody, you know, when you come pick morels here, you know, this is a class and I'm showing you the environment that they will grow. So you can go back to your community and your place and whatever else and find your own spots and um yeah i started having students come back yeah so and that really kind of sucked because you know and then I, I even had to say you know like hey i mean you don't go back to your fifth grade class and steal the erasers off the chalkboard you know or whatever it is you know i mean that was that's when i was in school there's probably no chalkboards now but uh but you know so it's like you're, you're going back to the mushroom spot then you're picking the mushrooms, and if I want to bring students there to educate them, all I come up with are stumps, you know, little mushroom stumps everywhere. That's kind of a bummer, you yeah. know. So I stopped doing it. Well, you, you know? could have a release form, but even then, then it's like it takes yeah. the out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that sucks, man. But it's, yeah. it's cool, though, and it's in the same way. I mean, it's a learning experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There was a guy that uh, was in our men's group, and he I shared that story, and he said, uh, so "It sounds like you shared, or you 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 shared more than you were willing to risk." Yeah, <laughs> I was Actually. like, "Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was not really willing to risk my my favorite, you know, mushroom spot, you know." Well, and then actually, a couple years after. Uh, 
the uh, the DNR must have allowed permits or something, and a, a logger came in and like clear cut most of the area. So now you can hardly even get in there because it's just all brush and logs and stuff laying all over the place. Oh, that's even more of a bummer. I know. <laughs> I know. But at least you had your memories there. Um, yeah. So yeah. okay. So personal growth, self development. Um, that was that was one. Uh, we, we got in the talk of harvesting with, the uh, the men's group. What came after that? Is that, was that the most recent one or? Yeah, I think men's group was probably more, more recent. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to just focus on the obsessions and passions I have now. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what I'd love to do, I mean, I have dreams for the future. Um, you know, and I, I saw, I saw this uh, meme on Facebook. Uh, it's, it's a man of color leaning up in, against a, a brick wall. And it looks, I don't know, maybe it was a ghetto or something. But And he's got a suit and tie on. And he says, it's no more about getting out of the hood. It's about buying up the hood and making it a better place. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man. you know. And so um, right next door to my house, there's another house that um it's going to be going it's actually probably started in foreclosure right now last last um i don't know this last may maybe or i think it was may yeah i saw the guy so it was clemente and his wife emmyard lived there and they had um three kids uh two of them were still at home and and all of a sudden he pulls up in front of his house they were living there for a while too uh years and um he pulls up in front of his house with a, an enclosed trailer. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you know, what's up? You got a you know new uh, trailer to haul some toys around or something. And no, he's just, we're moving. We're, we're, we're leaving. We're moving to Las Vegas. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I said, well, what about your house? He says, ah, fuck it. Let the bank have it. I'm like, <laughs> Holy cow, dude, for real. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he packed up and left and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's a matter of time. It's going to be foreclosed on completely, and maybe I can get it as you know, real cheap or something. And uh, yeah. you know, more fruit trees, more yard. <laughs> yeah, man. It's I uh I live in the um. I mean, I live. I don't know if you know. I don't know how much you know about Columbus. Columbus is kind of like an island in the Midwest. For it's similar to Minneapolis and. Uh, in a sense, and probably also similar. And Milwaukee's growing quite a bit as well. Uh, uh-huh. But Columbus Columbus is like one of the, you know, up-and-coming Midwestern cities. And it's really weird because we we go through these cycles of, like, gentrification. And um, where I'm at now, like, if you go just across the highway, it's like real estate prices. The houses are probably, like, you know, close to $200,000 for not not very big houses and and stuff like that but it's just all about real estate like it's a hipster very hipster area and then my area is just literally you go across some railroad tracks it starts to get look worse and then you go across uh the highway and then it's like the left side of the street is still kind of nice the right side of the street has it's like on the upwards of everything being run down like there's probably 20 abandoned houses on my street like wow. in between like from like one main street to the next and so my house was actually only like six thousand dollars that one of my buddies bought and then he just put 10 huh. into it 
and I live here, and I turn the whole backyard into, you know, like my little urban farm, and then I have uh, the, the there was blacktop on the other half, so I just got the greenhouse because I was like, well, I, it's going to be easy to anchor this thing in, and yeah. then still have production, and um, so but there was a house down the street. The auction started at five hundred bucks, huh. and uh, you got to pay cash for it. But I was I was hoping to get it for eight grand, man. It went up to eighteen. But oh. I'm I'm all about the same thing though. Like you know why. There's plenty of land in a lot of, I mean, especially in Ohio, you know, if you go to like, my parents live in Youngstown and what's happening a lot in Youngstown because all the, like, either people don't have families or like they're younger, their offspring have moved out of the city or out of state and they don't mm. forget to pay taxes on this house or they never pay taxes on it or an older person's been paying taxes on their house that they have paid off and then their parents' house that's paid off, but there's nobody else. So when the people die, the city just takes over their houses. And huh. so like in in Youngstown, there's like this huge, and it's not, I mean, it, it used to be a pretty rough place. I mean, there's still like this place they call Murder Park, but huh. um, it's not, it's not bad. I mean, I've been to bad neighborhoods. I know what bad neighborhoods are and it's really not that bad. So, you know, my whole thinking is, you know, gain a lot of these skills then go up there and buy a bunch of property and just do whatever you want like do whatever you want you know food yeah. wise or growing growing stuff wise but i really like columbus so that's still down the road i think once i have a kid and have some skills i think i'll want to do that for my mom but sure. um i don't know so that i don't know where all that stuff came from oh yeah because well, you said i think that was urban, similar yeah i think urban farming is is you know where it's at i mean i you know all the resources are right around you know, water, electricity, everything, you know, I mean, I've had a couple of country properties from just bare land to an actual farm. And it's like, you're kind of removed from, you know, main arteries and things. And yeah, you got more space around you. But I mean, that farm we, we bought in, you know, just north of us, the guy that was next to us, thank God he has stopped doing it. But for like a lot of years that he had this, uh, what he, they called mud fest. He's a mechanic that works in a local factory and all his buddies would come out with their mudder trucks and they would, he has like eight or 10 acres and he had a big like track through most of his property. And I mean, they were like ripping around and, you know, rooster tails of mud flying everywhere and, you know, hooting and hollering. I can imagine how fun that would be. But if you're the neighbor guy, oh man, you know, <laughs> so uh, he didn't do that anymore. He was worried about liability, I guess, but he did it for like five or eight years or something like that. And finally, you know, that was the end of it. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, whether I'm in the city listening to the guy across the street, bitch at his girlfriend on the front porch or, you know, your neighbor's uh, dogs. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean. I don't know. I'm kind of digging the the city thing, you know. Well, it's fun to walk someplace too, especially if you're not far from like a. a I don't know. Like I like I see you know the the benefits of being in the country, like just outside. Mm. I mean, it's like where my grandpa lives. It's actually really cool. Like yeah. but it's it's starting to get built up because um, there's like a community college down the road in like Toledo area, but like he you know he has city water and and electricity and everything like that and it's you know it's it's pretty cool but at the same time um i don't know like i i think it 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 is nice to be able to i i like the as much as like it's annoying to be like i'm in like old school world war ii 
<laughs> my neighbors can i mean there's not you know maybe maybe six or eight feet in between each house um you know as as cool as that as as much as that sucks it's also kind of cool i don't know it's like a mixture of 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 pain and pleasure at the same time yeah um, i you know but i think that's anywhere like there's nowhere there's benefits to everywhere you live but yeah I, I you know for me right now i still have a slave job so i'm I'm close to work. I'm I'm close to like a, a, you know I'm close to cool restaurants that want to buy my food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think it's all a matter of you know getting in where you fit in and just just adjusting. I mean like we all have our seasons in life. You know maybe maybe now mine and your season is being in the city, but later yeah. on down the road we might want to be like yeah screw this. I just want to get out and be left alone. <laughs> be like Luke Callahan and go live in a cave out in the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but yeah, man, so that's pretty cool. So, um, so I guess I, we could probably wrap it up little John, then we could talk a little bit afterward if you're still done. Sounds down. good. Um, yeah. so if people want to get a hold of you and they're, uh, and they want to buy some stuff from you or they want to know everything, what, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, you can go to my website, plantbasedservices.com. Um, you know, I'll, I have uh, my broom stuff on there. I mean, all kinds of everything about me, basically, or the stuff I do is on there. And then, of course, Plant Based Services has a Facebook page. Uh, Brooms by Little John has a Facebook page. And Little John has a personal Facebook page. So, <laughs> and do you do uh, Instagram or Twitter as well? No, I don't do Instagram should, or Twitter. You should get on Instagram, man. It's pretty cool. Take some snaps when you're. Yeah. doing stuff and you can actually share it the cool thing with instagram and i'll just tell you why like i didn't do it forever but the <laughs> cool thing is every picture like you could actually do a lot of networking through instagram uh-huh. and whatever you take you can have posts on a twitter and a facebook all at the same time huh so and then people can can view and then they can see your stuff on facebook too and comment from from your instagram which is pretty cool so yeah, I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought to put out there. It's the yeah. one of the hotter. Part of me thinks too. Be. Like you know, I mean, I'm leaving such a data trail all the time. With <laughs> you know, I mean, that's uh, Big Brother knows enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I feel like they're gonna know whatever they want to know about it, so I might as well make it easy. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. embrace it. Make it easy. Yeah. Um, my, yeah. I, uh, I, I, some people, they post so much stuff on Facebook in like one day, I think they're just trying to overload the server, I think, and <laughs> make it hard to follow them. I think maybe that's the strategy I you think, know, from one extreme to the other. I think sometimes you just get sucked in. Like I had to take the app off my phone, like, cause I was always on my phone looking at notifications. Now I made it harder for myself. I just <laughs> use the, uh, the web browser. Mm-hmm. And then I still, like, I'll still get online from time to time on, on my computer at work, but I try to stay away from it. Like, I try to, when I'm at work, because I have a computer in front of me, I try to really, I'll just use it to share stuff. Like, if I'm watching a YouTube video or something that I find interesting, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's as it's positive as Facebook can be, like, us having this conversation today, it can be a huge time dump, too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's easy yeah. to get sucked into a loophole or... Right. And and also too, I was really just being too much of a provocateur 
Sometimes uh, I'll still do stuff to provoke people, but <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's a weird thing. But uh, yeah. anyways, everybody, go out and like and favorite uh, Little John's pages. Check out his work, plant based uh, plant based services dot com. Yeah, plant based services dot com. Um, yeah. Don't forget if you like stuff like this and you like uh, trees and everything. Grant Schultz, we mentioned earlier, you know, go to his website, newfarmsupply.com. He's got a lot of great. Have you checked out his website, Little John? Um, I have. It's been a little while, but yeah, I mean, he has uh, a lot of great shit. I know, man. He's got, uh, yeah, he's got sea berries. He's got pawpaws. He's got all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, and so so use twenty percent. Use discount code sample. Save twenty percent. Um, and then also if you or a fan we we talked about uh scott hebert before we were recording uh go to uh profitable urban farming.com we talked about that for curtis stone's course uh save a hundred dollars there'll be a link in the show notes or and also just for the payment plans you guys can if you want to do that you can sign up for the course and support the podcast all at the same time mr little john thank you so much i'll have to have you on again when i when i'm <laughs> going more into rabbit holes that you've been down to pick your brain a little bit um sounds good i had a blast talking to you um so guys thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon